Hallelujah. Hello, beautiful people. Uh, I hope you're doing good. I apologize for the absence of podcasts being uploaded. Um, It has nothing to do with anything, but I was having some technical difficulties with some of my equipment, and I didn't really know how to fix it, so I kind of just left it alone, and seems to be working now, and then at other moments it seems to not work, so, uh, you know, I'm just believing the Lord's going to either fix it or just show me what's wrong with it, uh, some of my stuff, but that's besides the point. I hope you folk are doing well, being blessed in these wonderful times. It's just an awesome time to get to know Jesus. It's an awesome time to experience what he has for us, and uh, that's exciting. Amen. Doesn't matter what's really going on. This is going to be a special podcast. I uh, hate to disappoint some people. I'm actually just going to play a message that I did at my church, uh, the church I go to right now, Healing Grace. My humble pastor let me preach a message on a Wednesday night, and this message is called You Are a Lily, and this message is really important to me. I've received nothing but just uh, good news from people that have received this good news of what a lily is, how we are lilies, and how God loves us, and how we get to love him back. And that's really exciting, and I'm just, uh, you know, if you didn't listen to it on YouTube, here's your chance here. If you listen to it on YouTube, I really encourage you to listen to it again. Uh, I've listened to it two or three times now, and it, it blesses me, and I'm the one that preached it, but it blesses me. It's a It's a subject that I believe you can never hear too much, to be honest with you. But I hope you guys enjoy. I am going to be uploading again more pretty soon here. I believe I'm going to do a series called Hearing with the Heart. I'm going to talk about what is the heart, what does it do, what is its function, what does the Bible have to say about the heart. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm seeing some things in the Word about it that I've never seen before. And I'm excited to share those things. But uh, you guys enjoy this message and keep on being blessed. I love this man. He's a good man. And he's called and anointed to preach the gospel. So we want to hear what God has uh, to say to us through you. So there you go, bud. Amen. Honestly, the only thing good about me is Jesus. Uh, Dave said something before we got up here. He said, holy and blameless. And as I was standing there worshiping, um, I, just, I just feel like the Father was reminding me that uh, it was never about individual sins, right? That was never the issue. The issue wasn't, oh, I did this or I did that. It was the core of us, right? You know, Jesus said the good tree can only produce good fruit. The bad tree only produces the bad fruit. And so instead of cleaning up the fruit, right, Jesus came to the root and he changed the whole tree. That was the whole point. And I was just thinking, and this is like the illustration the Lord gave me. When I think about my life, you know, when I was doing drugs or having sex or insert whatever sin here, you know, this outward sin and and inwardly in my mind what I was doing, that whole time, Jesus was just like a like a a marine sniper just like 
I thought I was gone. I thought I was lost. Everyone else around me probably thought that. Maybe not my parents. Hi, Mom, if you're watching. And uh, Jesus, you know, think about a sniper. Like, a sniper, like, they, you know, they are precise. My boss, Brad, he was going to be a sniper. And so he was telling me a little bit about that. And my, my whole life, I thought I was going nowhere fast, and there was no point. Vanity of vanities. Ecclesiastes was my favorite book. And Jesus, it's just insane, the intricacies. He's looking at you before you're looking at him, right? You know, he's, you know, Boaz sees Ruth before Ruth sees Boaz, right? Jacob saw Rachel before Rachel saw him. And just that imagery, he had me right in the center. He had me right where he wanted me. And then he just took his shot, you know, like a, just a precise basketball player almost and squished it right in. All right, so what I want to talk about tonight is the love of God. And I know what everyone's thinking. Uh, what an easy subject to talk about. And I actually believe that the love of God is the hardest subject to describe. Because the minute that I say this, everyone in this room and everyone watching, when you say the love of God, instantly you're like, oh, check, I got that. That's totally down. You know, uh, that you, you know, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. We learned this in Sunday school. Come on, Brock, where's the real anointing and power at? You know, we want our five steps to faith. We want to know how to prosper more. And you're talking about the love of God. But I just want to point this out. I want you guys, if you have a Bible and or phone, go to Song of Solomon chapter two. And I'm going to read this verse in Ephesians real quick. This is a crazy verse. In Ephesians, the third chapter, um, the Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And uh, if you're wondering what the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament would pray over you, it's in Ephesians 3 and in Ephesians 1. And Paul is praying over these people. And in verse 17, he says, uh, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, the Bible says God is love, right? So you can just, anytime you see the word love in the scriptures, you can just insert God. He wants you to be rooted and grounded in love. That's in God. God is love. Verse 18, uh, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, everyone in this room, everybody watching, all Christians, to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. I used to read that and think, one, it was King Jamesy, so I was like, what does any of that even mean? The breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. It's sort of like a there's depth, right? There's depth to the love of God. You cannot define it. This says it's four-dimensional. There is so much to the love of God. And uh, I, I spent so much of my Christian life focusing, honing in on individual subjects, right? Um, I need to have more faith, and so um, faith comes by hearing, so I need to uh, read and confess a bunch of scriptures about faith, you know? What's the formula that I can use to up my spirituality uh, to get whatever I need, you know? And uh, when you're not taught better, you don't know better, you know? Um, I need more money. Well, I command those angels to bring the money in and all this stuff. And I love confession. I, I love saying the word from a, from a deep place of the heart as a response to the love of God that you feel over you, right? That's awesome. But you know what? The scriptures say, Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. Um, Song of Solomon is a book that I always wanted to study my whole Christian life. Um, 
which, I mean, I've been born again almost 22 years now, uh, but uh, I came back to the Lord when I was about 19, and I always wanted to read it. It just seemed like a cool book. There was something about it that I liked, but God very firmly was just like, no, don't, don't even touch that book, and so I was like, okay. I'd go back to it and be like, no, don't touch it, and then January 1st of last year, uh, 2019, God said, I want you to open up Song of Solomon and study it. There's eight chapters in Song of Solomon, and I've been studying it for about uh, 15 months now, and I'm only in the sixth chapter, because you can get so sucked in to the love of God. And the, the whole book's about love, right? It's the story of Jesus and his people and a father wanting to bring his son, you know, prodigal son. They've, they've left, but he wants to bring him home. That's, that's the whole Bible right there. Everything. If you want to know why God did anything, it's all motivated by love. And so there's, there's so many pictures of love in the scriptures. Jesus himself, obviously, just the way uh, he draws people in. When I first started reading the gospel, the Gospels, that's what drew me in. Uh, I was kind of scummy at the time, you know, in my mind, in my spirit. I was perfect, holy, and blameless because I was a believer. But in my mind, you know, I would listen and I would read the Gospels and I would just be so intrigued about how Jesus uh, dealt with people. It was like uh, magnetic almost. I thought, how in the world does he operate with such love? And, you know, just the... Uh, awesomeness of his dealings with the Pharisees, right? That dude stomped everything they said, and I thought it was hilarious. But that's what initially drew me into Jesus. I thought there's something about the way Jesus moves, you know? He, he is love. He does not have love. That's a fruit of what he is. He is love. His very nature is love. You know, I'm Brock. You, it doesn't matter what I do. I will always be Brock. You can't change. There's no action. Everything I do is going to be Brock did that. You can never change it. It's just who I am. It's the nature of me. That's how God is. So this verse I want to get to, Ephesians 3.19, it says, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Show of hands, who wants to be filled with the fullness of God? Yeah? What is the fullness of God? I'll start with what it's not. It's not fear. It's not lack. It's not a lack mindset. It's not worry. It's not anxiety. It's not depression. You know, the fullness of God is, right, what is it? The fruits of the Spirit, right? Peace, love, joy. You know, you're righteous. You're holy. You have a smile on your face. You're happy, excited. You're just like Jesus is, compassionate, from deep inside you. But this scripture is a little weird. It says, know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. That doesn't make any sense. How can you know something that passes knowledge? And that's because this is written from a Jewish mindset, right? Uh, in the Western world, we're kind of like, we go to school and we get a degree and we say, I know things. But the, in the Eastern mindset, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I was in drumline and I could tell you, if somebody went up and hit a snare drum, I could tell you by the sound of the snare drum if they were having correct technique or not. And that's the definition of, a, of Jewish knowing, right? Uh, it's, it's an intimate knowledge. I can tell you, hey, on the top string of a guitar, on the third fret, that's a G note. I could mentally tell you that. But if I've never actually put my finger on there, I don't know it. 
You see the difference here? Knowing's even like it's used when Adam and his wife had children, right? It said Adam knew Eve. You know, I know my wife in the scriptural sense of the word. And so it says, when you know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, a.k.a. when you get past an intellectual, I know the love of God. Jesus loves me, yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. When you get past that and you enter a position of, oh my gosh, experiencing the love of Christ, right? You know, churches, it's so much about love is just this theological concept. You know, we know he loves us even if we don't feel it. That is crap trash because that's like me marrying my wife and she never feels loved. How silly is that, right? And in the natural, you would look at me and say, that's a bad husband right there. But yet we attribute that same personality to God and we call it sovereignty. It's super silly, you know, right? Uh, What is it? Acts 17, um, God is not far from us. That doesn't mean that he's not talking positionally. He's talking about God is not far from us in the way that he acts, the way that he is. You know, if you look at an eagle and a parrot, there's, there's similarities, right? You can learn one thing from the other and vice versa. You know, I'm my father's son. You can talk to my father in the natural, Tommy Hames, you can talk to him and you'll find out things about me. And you can talk to me and find out things about my father. And what does it say? You know, Adam's Jesus were Eve were bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. So to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And then what happens? What happens when you experience the love of God? It says right there, you're going to be filled with the fullness of God. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want the fullness of God. But yet we, it's, it's like fullness of God here. And all you have to do is just take the straight shot to the love of God. But so many of us Christians, and I'm not here to critique. I'm just here to, um, you know, I'm trying to save you the time that I wasted. You know, we're taking all these other pathways um, to get to the fullness of God and what we think that looks like. But that's not it at all. So are you in Song of Solomon chapter 2? If you haven't found it yet, then look on with your neighbor. All right, so Song of Solomon is the most single-handed, beautiful picture of Jesus and us. It's the story of the groom and the bride, and, you know, the groom comes to the bride, and the bride rejects him, and you know, but the groom just keeps loving and the bride rejects them. And I know that story very well, spiritually and naturally, you know, uh, that's what Song of Solomon is. And, uh, you know, I had, I, I had giant study Bibles that said Song of Solomon is just about a natural human and a woman. And the next day I gave that thing away because I said, I don't care what this man has to say about Jesus. He can't even see Jesus in Song of Solomon, right? And how is Jesus in Song of Solomon? What did he tell the two disciples? Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus, right? He said, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures concerning himself from when? Moses to the prophets. That's Genesis to Malachi, if you didn't know that. And did you know Song of Solomon is in that, right? What is it, John chapter 5? He says, 
you look for life in the scriptures, but the scriptures testify of me. This is about us and Jesus. So that's for somebody. And in chapter two, chapter one, uh, we just got introduced to the characters, to the, to, um, I believe the groom starts off the first verse. He's declaring what he's going to do. He's going to sing the greatest song of all time over his bride. Jesus, if you look at Jesus's ministry and God in the Old Testament, he never does one thing without first speaking it out. So I, I completely believe this is Jesus saying what he's about to do. And, and the bride says stuff and the groom says stuff and she's kind of scared, but he just keeps loving on her. It's beautiful. And then we get to chapter two and the bride, um, chapter four is when she accepts his wedding proposal. You know, that's a picture of us, right? Accepting Jesus. So in chapter two, she's, you know, maybe they're dating a little bit. Maybe they don't got a title, you know, I don't know. And uh, the bride starts off in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1. She says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys, right? Uh, she's starting to get a little glimpse, you know. What does this look like in the natural? This is that person that you've been talking to at your job or witnessing to, and they, you know, they say, you know, tell me a little more about Jesus. You know, this is that little glimpse of someone who's not born again, born again yet starting to get a little interest. And then... Uh, she, she's coming off the high tail end of him gracing her, and then she graces him back with her words. And then verse 2 is really what I want to look at. Uh, this is the groom talking about his soon-to-be bride. He says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. That's beautiful. I've been studying this this. Uh, book for 15 months now. And it wasn't until maybe two or three months ago, I was looking at that. And I was like, man, that just has to mean something more. And uh, the Passion Translation uh, renders it like, uh, as a lily amongst thorn, you know, um, though the sin, sin of curse surrounds you, still you remain as pure as a lily. And that's a pretty cool translation. But I actually think this verse is saying something else. So there's two things going on in this verse, right? We have lilies and we have thorns. So in order for us to understand what this verse is saying, you have to first define those two terms. You have to know what does a lily mean and what does a thorn mean. So go to Genesis chapter 3. I want to talk about this real quick. Uh, this is called the Bible principle of uh, first mention. You know, throw some fancy theological terms in there and call it a Bible school. And uh, Genesis chapter 3, you know, so we're going to be looking at what is a thorn. Uh, the first time a thorn is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 3, and all the Bible scholars are going, I know what Genesis chapter 3 is. And if you don't know, that's where Adam and Eve, you know, they sin and they partake of the fruit and the temptation and all that good stuff. We learned that in Sunday school. And uh, I want to start at verse... Hmm, 17. So this is after they ate the fruit, and God isn't, he's not punishing them right there. He is telling them the repercussions of their consequences. This, this regardless if God said any of this or not, it was going to happen. It wasn't a result, you know, the punishment, the, the judgment. It was just, hey, uh, this is going to happen. So verse uh, 17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. 
Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. A.K.A. Adam was a dirt bag. Thank you. <laughs> so we see it here. What's happening? This is... Um, this is the result of the fall, right? What was the result of the fall? Was it sin? Yeah. And, but like I said before I started this, sin was not the issue. It was the conscience of the sin. Because if you go read Hebrews 9, what does it say? It's talking about those Old Testament sacrifices of the goats and the bulls. They could never purge your conscience. They could never do that. Why would Paul say that in Hebrews? He's saying that because the goal is to purge your conscience. That's what he's saying. And in contrast, he's saying those Old Testament sacrifices could never do that. What's the opposite of that? Jesus could purge your sin, purge your conscience of sin. You know, that's awesome. I, uh, my youth, the youth group we do, we were kind of talking about this and, uh, yeah, part of me feels bad, but part of me likes to show that there's, there's truth out there and there's people walking in it. And we were talking about, oh, man, I feel bad about this and feel bad about this. And I just said, I don't really feel bad about anything. Uh, I, I just, you know, I don't even think when I do something wrong. I don't even care. Like if I register I did something wrong, I'm like, oh, it's okay, you know, whatever. And um, people think that's the whole, oh, this grace message, right? It's just, you know. Uh, how dare you not be as guilty as I am? <laughs> you know, uh, you're not as holy as I am. How dare you not walk around chained up because of your accidents and your sins? Um, I don't believe Jesus wanted me to live that way. I don't believe Jesus wanted anybody to live that way. And so you can see here, what's the consequences? You're going to work. You're going to work. And what does he say? He says, you're going to work to eat bread. You're going to work to try to get Jesus, right? He's the bread of life. You're going to work to get him. You're going to encounter thorns and thistles. I don't know if you guys have encountered thorns and thistles, but they're not fun, right? They're painful. They hurt. You know, when I was a kid, you go out to the woods, right? And then you come home, scratches, blood. It's not fun. That's what he's talking about here. The sweat of your face, man. You're gonna, you are born from the ground. You're going to return to the ground. This is the old covenant. This is it. Thorns and thistles. It's, um, it's uh, God's righteousness is here, and I'm going to do everything in my power to work really hard to get here right? That's the whole old covenant. And like I said, the problem was not sin, uh, but the reason why God made us conscious of sin, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. Romans 7, right? I was alive once, then the law came, and I died, you know? That's what the law does. It kills you. It was meant to murder you, uh, the, the Ten Commandments that most churches are hanging up on the walls nowadays, uh, they were not some moral code, you know, step through one through 1,000 to get you to be able to fellowship with God, right? No, it was to just, you know, it's like you're running a marathon and you just slow down and you're just like, oh, God, I can't anymore. You know, I was in marching band. Uh, I skipped a... Um, 
I skipped one Friday night game to go to an Outcast concert because uh, it was a reunion concert. It was a big deal. And uh, the next day, we had a 12-hour practice from 8 a.m. to 8 uh, p.m. That's what you did in marching band. Justin knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, my band director uh, that morning, he yelled at me because I was the drumline leader and I missed and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, that's the way of the world, right? You did this, now I'm going to punish you, right? You're going to get it now. He's like, you're off the leadership. And then after he was done yelling at me, um, he said, and uh, before practice, you and me are going to go on a little run. And uh, two hours later, uh, 10 miles later, uh, I, you know, I was worn out. And then I did a full day of marching band practice after that. And he made me, go, he, the marching band was practice, and he made me go around and around. You know, that's, that's the law, dude. You know, you did something that really wasn't that bad. You know, the first guy to die in the law was a man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath. It's actually, maybe this is kind of twisted, but I think the story's kind of funny. They, this guy picks up sticks, and no one had ever broken the Sabbath before, and they, they shut him up in a room, and Moses and Aaron and all them are like, uh, what do we do, God? And God's like, kill him. <laughs> and I know that's kind of twisted, but I always thought that was kind of funny. Like, what a, kill him, just murder him. Oh my gosh, man, that's the law, right? That's thorns and thistles. It's the difference between Jacob and Esau, right? Esau, it says he was a man who loves to hunt. He's out in the field. He works. Uh, I, the blessing's gonna come to him. What is he gonna do? Go out and get the meat for himself. What does Jacob do? Everything's already provided for him, right? His mother gave him, gave him the meat, gave him the sheep, uh, gave him Esau's coat. You know what I'm saying? And uh, what does it say in Malachi chapter one, verse two? Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What is that talking about people? You know, many people use that verse to talk about, well, this is predestination, you know. God hates some people and loves other people. No, he's talking about covenants, right? What these people represent. Jacob, the man who, it says, uh, he dwelled in tents. You know, he was a mama's boy. He stayed inside with Rebecca. Esau, he's a man's man, you know. Jacob said, my brother's a hairy man and I'm but a smooth man. I used to say that about my brother Jordan. That's, that's what it is, right? Uh, Jacob, grace. I love him. God loves grace. He loves to minister through grace. Esau, I hate that crap. God hates it, literally hates it. A being that is, that is rooted in his nature is in love, hates something. What does he hate? He hates something that's not founded in love. That's his mortal enemy. So I hope I've convinced you that thorns and thistles, is, it's, it's condemnation, it's shame, it represents hard work, it's painful. That's what the law is. Now, Lily, what is a lily? Go over to Luke chapter 12, and uh, luckily for us, Jesus is a genius, and he gave us a description of a lily, right? He talks about the lilies often. I think it's his favorite flower, personally. So Luke chapter 12. Let's go verse 27. He says, consider the lilies and how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these 
So just to break that down a little bit, he says, consider the lilies. Consider just means meditate and think. That's why I was thinking about this. I was like, well, Jesus told me to consider the lilies. He told me to sit and to think about a lily. And that's pretty silly. <laughs> Bars. I'm a rapper. He told me to think about lilies. And that's kind of strange, but that's what I did with this verse in Song of Solomon. I said, okay, what's a lily like? And uh, I thought, hmm, how they how they grow? I said, uh, I know. I'll uh, I'll look up scientific research on how lilies grow. And the guy's like, Nah, that ain't it, Chief. You know, you're missing it, bro. And uh, I said, How they grow? And you know, this is in Hosea 14:2, right? He says, I'm going to be the dew, the morning dew, the refreshing over Israel. And he says they're gonna they're gonna flourish like the lily. They're gonna grow like the vine. You know, Jesus is the vine, right? So what does this mean, how they grow? And then, again, Jesus, it's got a colon by how they grow. So then my lightning quick brain is thinking, oh, he's about to tell me how they grow, right? Genius, genius. I went to Bible school, if you can't tell. <laughs> uh, he said, they toil not and they spin not. What does that sound like? You know, are you toiling are you spinning? Is that your default? When uh, everyone on your Facebook is talking about the coronavirus, are you freaking out? Or are you, you know, walking with the lilies? You know what I mean? They toil not, they spin not. I just love the word toil. Doesn't that sound like backbreaking? Uh, I do construction, and I've never done construction in my life, so I don't know how I got sucked into it. And uh, I, uh, we, there's a lot of times you have to dig ditches sometimes and like out there for eight hours or whatever, digging a ditch with a shovel. It's you, maybe one other guy, if you're lucky. And that is back breaking work. The first time I did that, I was drained. You can ask my wife. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this for another three days. That is toiling. I know what toiling is. Again, marching band. Uh, band camp for marching band is 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. for two weeks. You have the weekends off, but it's, you know, it's that intense. And uh, I did that for four years, and I did it in the spring. Fall, spring, fall, spring, fall, spring, fall, spring. That's a, so I know what toiling feels like. It's, it's not fun. Neither do they spin. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they toil not, they spin not. And I thought about that, and I said, well, God, how do the lilies grow? You know, I asked Jesus, because he's my God, and I'm his son, and he's my husband, and I'm his bride, and he's cool, and I'm his friend. You know, that's what we do when we don't understand something. Uh, when I don't understand, my wife says, I just ask her. It's, it's that simple. You know, we don't have to, have to spend three days on our face praying in tongues to get an answer. That's how I used to think, right? That is toiling. And how does a lily grow? You ready for this mind-shattering revelation? A lily just grows. That's it. It just grows. Um, how silly would it be for a lily to wake up and think, you know, if it could wake up and think, oh, I'm going to try really hard to be a lily today. I got to be a lily. I'm going to receive that sunlight. I'm going to grow. I'm going to sprout. I'm going to do it. Is that the way that a lily would think? That's, 
it, it's comical when you put it in those terms. And he says, I want you to grow like the lily. What is a li- how does a lily grow? It just grows. It's natural. It doesn't try hard to receive. Now, what does this mean practically? Um, I can only talk about myself. For me, I was taught and kind of got in my mind that, okay, I want blessings and I want faith and peace and um, a little bit of love. You know, it's not that important, but a little bit of love. Uh, Really, I just want the love so I can love other people because I'm a good Christian, right? That's the only time people talk about the love of God. Because if you don't love people, you know, um, you know, if you don't obey the commandments, he's going to put sickness in your midst. You know, we quote Ezekiel 15, 23. That was my scripture. And, uh, you know, that w- that's me waking up. Okay, um, I got to be spiritual today. No secular music. Um, what else can I cut out? Uh, no, uh, I don't want to play video games with my friends. I'm going to study the word for 10 hours. You know, and when you come into the revelation of you're one with Jesus, oh my gosh, your least spiritual day already just outshines anything you try to do in your own flesh. Because that's what the flesh is, right? The flesh is, um, I want this end goal, so I'm going to do everything in my power to make this goal come true. But here's the trick. Here's what most people fall into. We do it with spiritual things. And so we take worship and we take prayer and fasting and praying in tongues. And uh, you better at least be witnessing. You know, you better do A, B, C, D. uh, And at the very, very least, you better not be sinning. That's like, you know, are you a baby Christian? You know, that's the mindset, right? Um, So I'm going to cut out all these things, uh, my ability, my human flesh. And, uh, you know, that's the Old Testament mindset, right? Uh, Do to produce. Um, Do this and I'm rewarded. And uh, the, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, that chapter, it says there is a glory to the Old Testament. But it says it's a fading glory. So that's why when you do those things and then you get a result and you're like, wow, this really works. This faith stuff really works. And then you go out and it's not working as well. So what's your answer? Uh, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to faith harder. And then there's other people, you know, there's like, well, you just need to have more faith, you know. Uh, that's, you know, when you get the revelation that you have the faith of Jesus inside of you, you don't do anything, right? Mustard seed of faith. The only thing that you need to believe is, can Jesus do this? If you can believe that one thing, whatever the situation is in your life, if you can just believe, can Jesus fix this? Boom, you you have the faith of Abraham right now. You know, what did Abraham do? How was Abraham made righteous? Uh, Did God say, hey, um, pack up all your stuff, go over there, do all this stuff, and then you're going to be righteous? No, what did he do? He believed. That's it. Before he moved, before he did all these things, he just believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So it's, it's the, the lily is the same thing of a branch and a vine, right? A branch does not focus real hard to receive the life of the vine. That's silly. A branch just does it naturally. And then that fruit just comes off, right? 
you know, it's, uh, it's, it's completely comparable to, you know, let's say that for some reason I did not want to have sexual relations with my wife. And so I'm thinking all day, all right, I don't want to, but I'm just going to get in there and do it. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to get it done and, uh, cause we got to have kids and, uh, we're going to produce some intimacy and, uh, you're right. That would be mechanical. That would be so silly. That would be so robotic. How much cool is it when you have that desire, you know, Ooh, I'm going to throw on some Barry White tonight. You know, I'm going to, we're going to enjoy that. We're going to, you know, and from intimacy, fruit is bared, right? It's, you know, it's like, Pastor Greg said, if we were trying to have a kid and I went and did it with another woman and I came back and I said, look, I got this kid. It's what we wanted. The point wasn't the kid. God is not, God is so not concerned with your fruit. And if you, when you were not born again and had an evil, corrupt nature and you were a father of the devil, you naturally produce the things of the devil without even thinking about it. How much more would the righteousness of God right inside of you, are you affecting people all around you and you don't even know it effortlessly? You don't try to produce fruit. Fruit is born from intimacy. So that's what a lily is, right? A lily just, it just, it, it bees who it is. You know, it's just who it is. It's its nature. A lily can't be anything else than a lily. So Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2, look at this again. Uh, the, the groom says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. What Jesus is saying right here is um, a lily amongst thorns. Jesus says, he, if you relate to God by grace... Jesus says, finally, somebody that wants to relate to me like a lily. Finally, you know, while everyone else, almost all of Christianity is relating by thorns and thistles. Have I read my Bible enough? Have I gone to church enough? Have I prayed enough? Um, did I tithe enough last time? Um, you know, the ultra spiritual people take the spiritual things and then the people that are baby Christians take the what carnal sin have I, did I did I smoke today? Did I drink today? It's all the same. It's all the same. There's no difference to God. It's the same mindset. A, a lily among thorns. This is just God says this to me all the time and I love it. He said God wants to have this relationship with you. He just if God could get tired, if he could be impatient, he would be impatient about this. God is so, uh, man, like, again, if he could be burdened, he would be burdened. This, um, this sucks for God. He wants people to relate to him by grace, not by thorns and thistles, by working really hard and producing all these things. No, he just wants you to, he just wants you to exist. You know, um, I can't wait to have children because I just know, I already know that when I hold my first child, I already know I'm going to be so, I'm already in love with my first child. I don't know that little bugger yet, but I already love it with an unconditional love. And I know that no matter what that baby does, 
I don't love it because of what it does, right? It actually does the opposite of good. It screams and poops and causes a disruption in your life. It makes you change your whole life flow, right? But this is how God feels about us. It's, it's you know, this is the bare bones gospel, right? Second Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world and imputing sin to them. No, of course not. Not imputing sin, not getting mad because he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, right? It was already paid for. He's not worried about what you're doing wrong. And if you're focused so much on doing wrong, you'll, you will never experience the love of God. I'll just be bold and say that. If you're focused on what you're doing, even spiritual things, how much you're reading the word, how much you're praying, worshiping, going to church, blah, 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 blah. If you're so focused on that, you will never experience intimacy with God. You'll never do it. It'll never be open to you. And then your only response to not receiving his love is I'm gonna work harder, right? Thorns and thistles. So practically speaking, what does this mean? Uh, I try to take everything I see in the word and apply it in real life, you know? How can I walk this out in my day? Um, John chapter six, when Jesus multiplies the bread, right? Uh, the Jewish people come to him and they say, you know, what must we do to work the works of God? You know, um, you're gonna have people that are um, ultra focused on what we have to do, you know? Faith without works is dead, you know? That's, that is their doctrine. Faith without works is dead. And, and these people come to Jesus and say, what must we do? What can we do to provide bread for ourselves that we may work the works of God? How can we produce uh, the bread of life without the bread of life? How can we do it? What does Jesus say? Believe on him whom he has sent. That's what he says, right? You know, I just thought about this verse. It's in 1 John. It says, uh, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So, you know, we'll read this and think, oh man, oh man, okay, I asked him, and if I want this thing, I have to keep his commandments, right, and do what's pleasing in his sight. Look at the next verse, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. That's it, that's all you do. And if you... Uh, start your relationship from this standpoint of, I just believe you, Jesus. It's a response. You're not taking the first step. You, f you encounter his love. And then out of a heart of faith and gratitude, you just respond with belief, right? The old covenant is do. The new covenant is believe, you know, do not fear, only believe. And then all those things in the natural that you're looking for to correspond It'll just happen. It'll just happen. You will, you know, let's, let's talk about confession for a second, right? Um, you know, if you were just trying to, all right, I'm going to wake up. Me, me, I used to have my Charles Cat book. I, I had every single verse marked up. I could, it was three, uh, three to five pages of verses. I could quote every single verse from memory every day, three times a day. That's what I would do. You know, again, it's, it's producing mechanical intimacy. But you know what? Oh man, I wake up every day now and just out of a heart of love and a response to his grace, I'm, I just think, oh Jesus, you love me and I love you. And uh, what are we going to do today? I want to know about you. I want to know your love. I want to be a lily today. That's, what I, that's how I want to act. You know, again, my wife, 
Imagine my wife wakes up and she says, I'm going to try really hard to be Brock's wife today. That would be lunacy. Doesn't matter what her actions are. Doesn't matter what she does. She will always be my wife. That's the way it works. It's kind of like, again, going back to drumming and and technique. Uh, When you're playing drums, if you're playing slow, you want to be really loose, you know, but, but firm. And as you get faster, as you start drumming faster, what's your natural instinct? What does everybody think in this room to do? It would be to squeeze harder, right? I'm going to play really, really fast. It's actually the complete opposite when you're drumming. When you're drumming, if you want to go faster, you loosen up completely. You get more loose than what you were doing when you were slow. And that is how you produce, you know, a faster stroke on the, on the drumstick. A lily just receives and then gives out of a place of abundance. That's the way a lily operates. What I'm really also talking about is this is the difference between Peter and John, right? We got Peter. Lord, I'll do anything for you. You know I'll do it. Other, be it far from thee, Lord, you know. If they come, I'm going to dice them up, all right? You know, that's Peter, right? What's, what is John, right? I'm that disciple whom Jesus loves, you know? I've heard people uh, make fun of John for saying that, you know, what an arrogant guy. But when I started reading that, I thought... This man is the only man in the entire 12 disciples, maybe in the whole region of Israel, that understood how much Jesus loved him. You know, we've equated Christianity to two Christians are talking. Let me talk about how much I love Jesus. And then you talk about how much you love Jesus, right? And when I started getting a hold of some of this stuff, I realized every Christian I talked to, it was all about, man, I love the Lord. Listen to what I did today. And I realize um, very few and far between Christians actually walk up to you and are like, dude, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me so much. It's a world of difference, right? And faith works by love. Soon as you get a revelation of God's love for you, oh my gosh, dude, you'll see a dead person and you're like, let me pray for that sucker. You won't even care, you know? You'll look at your bank account and think, what does, what does that have on the love of Jesus, you know? Um, it just doesn't matter. I used to work at an Olive Garden, maybe 50 people. And boy, I, by the time I left that Olive Garden, every single person in that Olive Garden knew that Jesus loved them. And you know what? It was a, you know, I looked stupid to them. I looked like a fool, right? Witnessing, always talking about Jesus. They didn't like me at first, but by the end of it, they liked me. Man, you'll start to not even give a rip about other people's opinions. You know, Joey doesn't like me. Who cares? Jesus likes me. You're nothing. I love you, Joey. <laughs> you know, you guys know what I mean, though. It's like Jesus's opinion and like everybody else's opinion. Like it's not even relevant when you get a revelation of his, his opinion of you. <sighs> so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding third here. You guys have been awesome. What's the point of being a lily? What does it benefit you? Um, again, I, I need to have one little clarification here. If you, I'll just say this, don't you dare walk away from my message and think, I'm going to be a lily. I'm going to try really hard to be a lily. If you think that, you're not a lily. You're not being a lily. 
But the cool part is, is you already are a lily, the truth in your spirit, right? We don't perceive with cardinal, cardinal, with carnal ordinances, our eyes, our ears. We don't look on the flesh. We don't look on the mind. We don't do that junk, right? We walk by faith. We see by faith. You know, we see in the spirit. We're Christians. That's our natural habitat is in the spirit. And so if you're looking at your flesh and looking at the way you think, I'll tell you this right now, you're going to be disappointed every time. That's every single person that's ever lived and ever will live. So don't walk away from this thinking, man, I I really need to tune up my lily skills. No, I'm here to tell you, you are a lily. It's who you are. It's, It's kind of like, you know, my parents used to spank me with a belt. And that belt is, works really good for spanking people. It's a really good tool, right? Well, what's a belt meant for? It's meant to hold your pants up, right? When you start receiving not the truth of, I got to be a lily, but the truth of, I am a lily, you're, you're using uh, yourself as the desired function that God created you to be. Think about Adam and Eve, right? Did Adam and Eve believe God for food? Did he believe them for clothes? No, they were naked. They didn't even need clothes. Did they believe God that he was going to protect them from the animals? No, they did not believe God for anything. Adam and Eve only believed in God. They believed God himself, his nature. You know, I don't believe Adam and Eve were perfect, but I believe they were pure and innocent because obviously there was something they didn't understand about God's love, right? Because I guarantee you, based off of these scriptures we've looked at, right? Ephesians chapter 3, the fullness of God when you experience the love of Christ. If Adam and Eve knew how much their father loved them, they wouldn't have done what they'd done. So many people, it's like, man, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough healing. I don't have enough this. It's not a healing problem. It's not a faith problem. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's a love problem. You just don't know how much God loves you. And again, if you just walk away from this thinking, I got to try really hard to, to let God love me, what you're doing is like Peter. You're being a Peter, not a John, right? Jesus, the, the, the bride, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, she says let. That means, you, you know, You just stand there and you receive it. Jesus goes to wash the feet of Peter. What does Peter do? No, 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 Lord, you can't do that. You must also do this. Insulting the work of Christ. Jesus says, I'm gonna wash your feet and it's enough. What was on their feet? The dust, right? The condemnation, thorns and thistles. You're you're gonna be dust, right? Going back to that. Jesus says, I wanna wash your feet. That's all I have to wash. You're, You're clean already. You know, John, I can guarantee, let Jesus wash his feet. But what's Peter? You know, don't wash my feet only, Lord, but my, my hands and, and, you know, my body and my head. You know, that's you saying, Jesus, your sacrifice at the cross was like mediocre. I'm, I, you know, I have to insert blank, 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 blank. That's the same thing that we do when we try to add to the righteousness of God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Separate the wheat from the chaff. 
So what's the point of being a lily? We're, in, we're, we're around in here. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. The bride, uh, she's accepted Jesus at this point, and oh man, she is looking at her Savior. She, she knows what he looks like. She knows his voice. She is intimate with Jesus at this point in the story. And she says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Now, this sounds a lot like Song of Solomon 2.16, uh, which is, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He feed amongst the lilies. And you say, there's no difference. Here's the difference. She said, my beloved is mine. I am his. But then what does she say after she gets a revelation of Jesus' revelation? What was it? I am his, or he is my beloved. You know, she was thinking this way. But then she said, uh, instead of saying, he is mine, she said, I am his, which is a world of a difference, right? It switches, it flips on purpose. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. What is this? Uh, Christ in you and you in Christ, right? The fullness of the gospel, the doorway is God's not mad at you, all sin's forgiven, it's totally cool. But what's, you know, that's just kind of like a, you know, a toe in the water, Man, that's like nothing. That's, that's, Hebrews 5 says that understanding your righteousness is milk. That's the milk of the word. You're on the baby formula of the word. If you don't know, God has forgiven all your sins yet. But the fullness is what? Colossians 1.27, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is positive imagination. Glory is the state of being in an exalted state. Someone tell me what is a more exalted state than fellowship with Jesus, right? The glory that I have had since the foundation of the world, I have given to them. What's the glory? That they may be one, even as we are one, right? So this is what this, this bride is saying. I'm my beloved, my beloved is mine. Christ Christ has made his home in me, and I have made my home in him. There's no separation. We're one. We're together. You know, right? What's the scripture say? The, the two shall become one. And I thought about, you know, Jesus repeated these words in Genesis in Matthew 19, and he said, the two become one flesh. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, what does one flesh mean? Do you know that um, I'm always with my wife? I sleep with her. I eat with her. We're always together. We, you know, doesn't matter if one leaves, the one always comes back to the same position, the same home. We live together. You know, I don't spend more time with anybody else than my wife. I see her the most. She knows me the most. I know her the most. And I read that and thought about me and her, and God said, how much more being one spirit where I'm with you all the time, 24 7. 365, for the rest of eternity, how much closer are we in the spirit? We're rounding up here. So I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Well, we know what a lily is. A lily is a person who operates and communicates with God through grace. That's what a lily is. And so he feedeth among the lilies. That's kind of weird. Does that mean he eats people? No, that's, you know, very silly. He feedeth. I looked up this word in the Hebrew, and it's the word raha, R-A apostrophe A-H. This is the word for shepherd, right? The Lord is my raha. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And um, I, once I read that, that wasn't the word the Lord wanted to get to me because I knew something else about that word already, raha, shepherd. Excuse me. 
blessed. Uh, he feedeth among the lilies, that word raha, it can mean shepherd. That's the way it's mostly used. But the, the best definition that it's in there as in the Hebrew is a special friend. That's what it says, a special friend. So it says, he feedeth among the lilies, a.k.a. God is a special friend to those who understand grace, to those who relate to him by grace, right? He's a special friend. And why is that? Is that because God wants to be closer to you than he does me? Of course not. The only difference is, is a person who receives by grace and communicates by grace. I'm talking, this is how the Godhead communicates with each other. Grace, influence. The Father influences the Son, the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Father, the Father, the Spirit, the Spirit, Jesus, Jesus, the Spirit. This is how it works. Grace upon grace, grace for grace. Somebody, that's how God operated within himself before anyone else was in the picture. So when you start operating how he operates, wow. He is a special friend to you. Oh my gosh, your whole life changes. This is what God desires. This is what God is seeking from his people. It's not about doing the will of God and doing this and doing, 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 do, do's. That stuff is such a byproduct. There's so many times where I've asked God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And he says, what do you want to do? And I'm like, you're God, why don't you tell me, you know? And it's once you start understanding these principles, he's a, he's a special friend to those who, uh, I, I almost don't have the words, I want to say communicate, have relationship with through grace. And this totally becomes 1 John 4, 19, right? Uh, we love him, so he loves us. No, that's not it, right? He loves us, and then we love him. I'll end with this story. Um, Renee, a couple weeks ago, she came up to me, and she asked me, how are you doing? And I just said, Jesus, man. You know, that's kind of my answer to people. And she asked me, which that just means everything Jesus feels, that's what I feel. I'm one with him, you know? I feel his feelings, you know? When my wife feels something, I can feel it before she says it. I know what she's going to say because we're one flesh. Again, how much more one spirit? And uh, she asked me, she just asked me plain. She said, how are you always there? How are you always just, just Jesus-oriented? How are you doing it? And I've had so many people ask me this question for a long time, and I never knew how to answer it really until I started getting a hold of the, the gospel of grace. And the answer is, I told her this, I said, I don't meditate or study anything else other than God loves me. That's all I care about. You can ask my wife. I don't, you know, I might peep over in other areas just for a fun read, but this is how I can study one book for 15 months and not get bored because it's so drenched in the love of God. That, that That's how you, you want to know how to, how to have all these things Christians are looking for, man, whatever. I've named so many, faith, hope, peace, love, joy, all these things Christians and non-Christians are dying for. Um, stop what you're doing, stop doing, sit and receive. There's times where I want to get into the word and Jesus says, nope, you just sit right there and you just be quiet with me. 
and you just let me wash you. This is how I start every day. I say, Father, just wash me. Just wash me with the water of your word. This is the key to all Christianity. It's not focusing on your love for God. It's just openly receiving his love for you. And then I'll add this tag here. Some people think, you know, you're just preaching an individualized gospel. You know, nothing's going to come from this. Uh, but I guarantee nobody does more stuff for Jesus than me. I put myself out there. I, my whole day is consumed with Jesus. Is that to brag on me? No, what I'm talking about is the answer isn't work really hard and go do these things and produce fruit. The answer is when you just receive Jesus. I thought I was on fire for God before I received the love of Christ. I, I lived a year and a half. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I would witness to almost every person in Walmart. And if I didn't, I would condemn myself because I felt so bad. You know, I could have been that word that changed their life. You know, I prayed for every person. I gave to every person. And, you know, I loved God. Even though I was under a works mindset, I had a relationship with God. And that's what pulled me through a lot of that. But I'll tell you, when I discovered the love of Christ, oh, my gosh, I did 10 times more without even trying, wasn't even a thought. I didn't have to try at all. You know, when I see someone in the store, I thought, I, I can't not tell this person about Jesus. You know, when I would lay awake at night and I couldn't fall asleep, I loved that because I'm like, wow, what a free opportunity to think about how much God loves me. You know, I'm like, no distractions. My wife's asleep. No one's texting me. I can just lay here and just think about how much God loves me. And through that open door, all the results that Christians and churches want, all the results, we want to save the world, uh, we want to release the healing power of God, we want to believe for miracles, we want to uh, walk in love, you know, you know, if, if, if your Christian life is, well, uh, I don't like this person, but I'm just going to walk in love because that's the Christian thing to do. Now, I love to walk in love because I know it's who I am and it's who he is in me. Praise God. If you guys wouldn't mind bowing your head, I just want to pray over you guys and everybody watching and listening. If you don't know Jesus, just come and meet him. You know, he sees you out there on a ship. You've been toiling all night, and he just says, hey, come and dine. Come and eat with me. I got plenty for you. I got a table spread for you. Sit at the king's table. If you don't know Jesus, uh, I know everyone listening and watching knows what to do. You just, you say, Jesus, come and be in my heart. And it's that simple and it's that wonderful. And don't let anyone talk you out of receiving any other way than what you just did. And if you do know Jesus, and what I'm describing right now is not your Christian experience, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard changing. It's going to be hard changing the way you think, but I'm going to pray this over you. Father, I just pray for everyone, listen, that this is not their Christian experience so far in their life, whether they're a baby Christian or been a Christian a long time. I pray that they would have such a revelation of the love of God in their life that it would, it would rock the foundations of their entire life, Father. I pray that they dive into books like Song of Solomon and they see the words that their groom speaks over them, which is Song of Solomon 4.7. You are perfect and without flaw, without blemish. There's nothing wrong with you. That is the way God views you. And the moment that we accept that, I just pray, Father, that 
they're gonna have such a wonderful time with you. They're gonna enjoy you. And more importantly, they're gonna know how much you enjoy them. This is Christianity, Father. This is what you desired from the beginning. This is how the Godhead operates. And we just bless your holy name, Father, because you're the one trying to get this message across. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness right now to people all over that this is the truth and this is what they want and this is what they need, Father. And I just bless all these people with a revelation of the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. I'm sweaty. Ah, you're toiling. <laughs> it was a godly toil. Wow. That blessed me so much. My gosh, thank you. You know what? We get to hear you again. On April 20, what is it? April 26, when we ordain Brock and Kylie and send them away to start a new church in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a day of mourning for us. But we love you. That was amazing. That just ministered to me. Thank you so much. Thank you.